Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we have the Orlando Magic team preview up next in our series. Ben and I talk to Preston Ellis of Orlando Pinstriped Post about Mo Bamba number five, Aaron Gordon's development, and Orlando's big plans for 2020. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing. It's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Back at it. Good to be back. Uh, a Michigan win over a terrible team and an MSU loss. Sorry, Laz. Makes me makes me really happy after the weekend, I got to say. And I'm also looking forward to today's episode, talking about a team that I don't feel like I have a, a very good read on. So looking forward to, to learning and listening today as well. Yeah, so today's team, I'm just going to completely ignore everything you said about college football. Uh, <laughs> today's team is the Orlando Magic, and for their uh, their team preview, we have Preston Ellis of Orlando Pinstriped Post and one of the uh, hosts of the Do You Believe in Magic podcast. I can't believe that's a real podcast name. Uh, Preston, <laughs> how are you doing, man? The Mamas and the Papas, dude, plus that uh, McDonald's commercial in 1991. Uh, it, it's so catchy. It, it just it just rolls right off the tongue. Do you believe in magic? This year, I think we might. All right. All right. I like that. So give us the one word that would sum up Orlando fans' feelings about this offseason and explain why you chose that word. One word, uh, I think it's got to be hope, um, and for obvious reasons, uh, the sixth overall pick uh, fell to them, Mo Bamba, of course, all offseason, all the talk was about Trey Young. The Magic needed shooting, they desperately needed a, a playmaker on the perimeter who could create his own shot, they don't have a whole lot of one-on-one players, but lo and behold, uh, the Atlanta Hawks were infatuated with Trey Young, so they they pulled off the trade to, to bring him to the number three overall spot where he was drafted fifth and then exchanged for Luka Doncic. The Magic were also trying to get into the Doncic sweepstakes, but they're thrilled with what they got. Uh, voted the second best defender of his class, eight foot one wingspan. Uh, I got the opportunity to watch him play in Summer League and so far so good. Uh, very coachable player, uh, highly intelligent, got some sound fundamentals already. We were worried about his motor and that didn't seem to be a problem. And plus, we we have Jonathan Isaac back in his second year. He's almost a rookie, kind of the same way that Ben Simmons was. Uh, he had a, a couple of ankle injuries to his right injury, so he's only able to suit up for 27 games. And in that time, uh, he was still a, a bit ginger with his minutes, probably about 15 to 20 per game. I think it was 16 around the end of the season What is what Frank Vogel wanted him on. And then, of course, we're hoping that Aaron Gordon is going to take another step in his development. He averaged about 17 and 8. He had all kinds of injuries. Um, not not to say they were debilitating. I think a lot of them was just uh, caution. But uh, he had a 
a concussion. He had a calf injury. He had a shin injury. He had a shoulder injury. He had some back soreness. Uh, I think he missed around 30 to 40 games. I don't have that number in front of me. But a lot of that, obviously, the Magic were out of contention early after that 8-2 and two start. Oh, and that's the other part of this argument is that the Magic missed somewhere around 270 games to their six best players last season. Uh, DJ Augustine played the most out of all of them, uh, only missing seven games after Alfred Payton was was traded to Phoenix. But after that, Evan Fournier missed a lot of games. Terrence Ross missed a lot of games. Aaron Gordon missed a lot of games. Nikola Vucevic missed a lot of games. So they've got their starting five back. They've got one more year of developed Jonathan Isaac. They've got Mo Bamba, who fell to them at number six. Uh, so we're, we're hoping the Magic can begin uh, developing some sort of young core with a lot of length and a lot of defensive potential. Yeah, and Mo Bamba also probably the best name in basketball, I would have to say. So, mm-hmm. so there's definitely that as well. And uh, going he's wearing into, number oh. five, Ben. Sorry to interrupt you, but we have to add that he's wearing number five. It fits just perfectly. Every time uh, he knocks down a jumper, Mo Bamba number five. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so how do you feel about the coaching change? Uh, Frank Vogel t- to Steve Clifford. What are your thoughts on the change there? On paper, it looks like a similar hire. Frank Vogel and Steve Clifford both sound uh, fundamental defensive first type coaches. But with that being said, we've got a history with Steve Clifford in Orlando. He was one of the guys who instituted the four and one that now is so popular around the NBA when he was under Stan Van Gundy. In addition, his first year in Charlotte, he went from, I want to say, 23 to 45 wins and got them into the playoffs. So there is a history of taking a team who's right around 25 wins, which is where the magic were, and possibly getting them into that eighth uh, playoff spot, which is really up for grabs in the Eastern Conference right now. I know the Pistons will be battling for it. The Hornets will be battling for it, uh, possibly the New York Knicks, but it really is available for for the best team. But we know we know what Steve Clifford is about. He's about fundamentals. He doesn't turn the ball over. He plays top-dent defense, and his players like playing for him. They buy into his system, and that was the problem with Frank Vogel was he would continue preaching these guys need to trust each other. They don't need to play one-on-one basketball, but that's continuously what these guys would do, and every time we would go into the locker room and we would talk to Augustine or Shelvin Mack or Aaron Gordon, the complaints were always the same. Guys aren't trusting each other. Guys aren't passing the ball. Guys would routinely freeze each other out when they were afraid that the ball wasn't going to continue moving, and they were afraid somebody like Mario Hazonia was going to play one-on-one basketball. Aaron Gordon was going to play one-on-one basketball. That The hope is that's not going to happen under Steve Clifford, and these guys are going to begin playing basketball the right way. So I want to kind of dig into the selfishness aspect of this a little bit because that's not something that I had heard because, you know, we don't have a great lens into the Orlando Magic, uh, you know, player situation. So a lot of these guys are on the team already for a lot of guaranteed money. Um, a lot of these guys are relatively well established in their careers. I'm guessing what what do you think like the impetus was behind freezing guys out or just like playing selfish basketball? Like, there's no there's no obvious reason to me for guys to to freeze people out, you know? Well, it's kind of an awkward fit across the roster, bottom to top. Uh, you've got Evan Fournier, who needs the ball in his hands to be effective. He can kind of be a, a J.J. Redick-type player on the perimeter, but he needs a facilitator. Terrence Ross, same thing. Aaron Gordon is trying to find himself right now, so if he doesn't get the ball in the right spots, he's going to play one-on-one basketball. Nikola Vucevic, same thing. He is a great passer in the post, but he doesn't have a lot of guys doing the right things. D.J. Augustine is is kind of a combo guard. He's playing point guard for the Magic, and he's a great spot-up shooter, but 
at five assists per game. He's just not the natural facilitator that the Magic really need right now. They need an unselfish player out there managing the offense, setting up the offense, getting people into their right positions. But as far as guys not trusting each other in the locker room, that one is a problem. And I know we'll go into this a little bit later, but this this roster needs a shakeup. It's just been too many consecutive years of the same old tired thing. It's been six years since their last playoff appearance with Dwight Howard. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of this by now. The, the ringer widely publicized it, but we talked about it a bit last March. Jonathan Isaac, a very religious young man, a very intelligent young man, um, not not the the greatest vocal leader. He's still very timid, very shy. We saw him come to life a bit more at Summer League. But last year, he went to some of the guys in the locker room, and he told them that he was going to be speaking at a local church. And not one person showed up. And obviously, you know, it was a circumstance where it was kind of late notice, and a young guy kind of doesn't want to stomp his foot into the ground and say, hey, you guys need to show up for me. But with that being said, you would think that would be an opportunity for a leader in the locker room to say, hey, let's show up for the Rook. Let's go out and show our support. Uh, This guy is obviously putting himself out there in a position that might make him a bit uncomfortable. Let's go out there and show him we care and bond together and come together as a team. And unfortunately, that's not what happened. And that's just kind of general overall mood. Couple that with losing, man. When you're winning 25 games and and everybody's hurt and everybody's icing themselves after a game, it's hard to be positive. It's hard to build chemistry. So you can't really point at any one thing. But if these guys start winning some games like they did at the beginning of last year, oh, one more point before I let you go. It's It was so curious to me how when you go into the locker room after a loss, it, you could hear a pin drop, but when these guys win, they're throwing towels at each other. They're carrying on there. It's almost like you couldn't tell if it was authentic or if they were just doing that for us to let us know that they were upset that they lost, you know, so we don't write about it or something like that. It was, it was very telling in their reactions post game. That is definitely something I think to keep an eye on, especially under a coach like Steve Clifford, who has a, a, I will say a background in uh, you know facilitating a cohesive locker room. Um, he's one, the one guy in the league who wanted Dwight Howard on his team, for example, because he had great experiences with him. So uh, you drafted Mel Bamba, you drafted Melvin Frazier, you drafted Justin Jackson, the other Justin Jackson. Uh, there's the <laughs> Jerry and Great, the Jerry and Grant trade. You swapped Biombo for Mozgov, the the backup center. Uh, overpaid roulette wheel just keep spinning uh you re-signed aaron gordon to a max extension uh you lost mario hazonia and some other ancillary pieces like shelvin mack uh what letter grade would you give the magic for this offseason uh, also, Jarrell Martin was something that went under the radar. Uh, Rodney Purvis got traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Dakari Johnson, and they ended up sending Dakari Johnson to Memphis in exchange for Martin, and then Memphis just uh, up and waved Dakari Johnson. It was a financial thing. It, it wasn't a big movement, but a result of it was the Magic also have Jarrell Martin. So they have seven bigs now in Gordon, Isaac, Martin, Vucevic, Mozgov, Mo Bamba, and Kem Birch. Honestly, I'm going to give them a B minus and I'm only giving them that level of grade because of Mo Bamba and because of the hope that we all have for him. But heading into the offseason, the primary need was point guard and they didn't fill it. They were said to have been in talks for Dennis Schroeder and Isaiah Thomas. And you think something as simple as maybe a Biombo and a protected first round pick like lottery protected first round pick gets you Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder has an extra year on his deal, so it might not have even taken a first round pick at that point. Uh, but the the thing is, they, they didn't use their mid-level exception. They didn't use their biannual exception. They didn't do enough 
to to put a support level uh, a support system around these young guys and develop somebody at that point guard position. We don't have the highest of hopes for Jerry and Grant. He kind of is what he is at this point. Can he be an upgrade over DJ Augustine? Yeah, maybe. Can he give you some meaningful minutes? Yeah, maybe. But he's he's not going to give this team what they need. What this team needs is a distributor, a Rajon Rado, a Thomas Sadoransky, a Mios Teodosic, or somebody like a Trey Young who can create his own offense and then dish as he breaks down a defense and find an open spot up shooter in the corner. And they didn't do that. So it's and now listening to myself talk, I think a B minus is kind of high. But again, yeah, we're say. just <laughs> we're just really hoping on the benefits of uh, Mo Bamba and Jonathan Isaac. But should those guys you know, not emerge as all-star level talents in their first couple of years in the NBA. I think we'll look back at this offseason. It'll be a little bit closer to a D or even an F. So uh, prior to the podcast, the last time we looked at the over-under, Magic are sitting at 31 wins. My, my guess, just having heard you talk a little bit, is that you're more optimistic than that. Uh, d- are you on the overside or the underside of the 31-win line right now? Definitely on the overside because the number one thing that we're anticipating this season is that they're not going to suffer the rash of injuries that they did last year. Last year was almost a historic level of injuries to their starting, I'll say six, because I'm going to include Jonathan Isaac into that conversation. Uh, so their six primary ball handlers um, or their leaders, so to speak, all miss significant time. All those guys are going to be back. Uh, just based on the offseason workouts we've seen Aaron Gordon participating in, we really think he's going to come hard this season and he's going to give it all he's got. You've seen the, the work out videos in LA with Kevin Durant. He's playing pickup every game. He's working out every uh, day. The guy is a workhorse. And you're adding Jonathan Isaac to that mix. You're adding Mo Bamba to that mix. And even if those guys are only suiting up for 15 to 20 minutes a game, that's a definitive upgrade. And, you know, coupled that with a health and a healthy Evan Fournier, DJ Augustine, if he can shoot 42% from three like he did last year, and all these guys can just stay on the floor. You'd have to think the 35 in a, in a weaker Eastern Conference. And you guys are also in the East, so you know beyond the top four, uh, after that, pretty much every game is is up in the air. You've got a team like the Wizards who are probably penciled in around the five, but we don't know what they're going to look like with Dwight Howard in the mix. There's bickering back and forth between John Wall and Bradley Beal. We don't know what we're going to get out of Miami, what's going to happen with Hassan Whiteside. I'm just saying that there is an opening for a team who comes back healthy, who started last year 8-2, and two, shooting over 50% from three-point range in the first 10 games of the year year maybe they come out and they surprise a couple of teams so one of those guys who did start the year really hot was Aaron Gordon Uh, he started the year especially hot from three if I recall correctly Uh, he obviously got his extension uh, this offseason four years 84 million dollars I think with the amount of guaranteed money that's already tied up in the magic front court like it would be easy to say that that was kind of uh, an overpay but for what it costs to retain the a guy who was drafted as high as he was and performed as well as he did. I think that that sounds about right um, from a financial perspective. What was uh, what were your thoughts on the Aaron Gordon extension? I actually love the deal for two reasons. Uh, one, it was technically four years and seventy six million with some escalators in there that he's not expected to reach. And two, they're front loading the contract, so I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's making somewhere around like nineteen the first year, seventeen and a half the second year, sixteen the third, and then fourteen the fourth year, which makes it a very movable contract. So should things implode in Orlando and you want to recoup some value, but Aaron Gordon continues to ball out, well then he's just become a very um, enviable uh, trade ship uh, for whoever in the NBA might be looking to ship off a superstar. I do have the uh, the names in front of me of guys who are going to be free agents in 2020, guys who are going to be available next year. Let me pull it up. Okay, so 
free agents in 2020, Dame Lillard, Harrison Barnes, John Wall, Nicholas Batum, Otto Porter Jr., Jimmy Butler, uh, Alan Crabb, Tim Hardaway, Chris Middleton, Kent Bazemore, Tobias Harris, Damari Carroll, TJ Warren. Uh, so it just goes on and on and on. So should the Magic look to blow things up if Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon can't play on the floor together? Suddenly you've got a great trade ship, but if he should develop uh, the way that we think he will in Orlando, then that, that diminishing uh, return on his salary is just going to work work to the Magic's advantage as they approach the 2020 offseason and guys like Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross and Mozgov start coming off the books, they're going to have a lot of salary cap space to work with. So we were really glad to have him back, to have him back for four years after losing guys like Oladipo, Tobias Harris, Mo Harkless, and other. It's nice to have a homegrown guy drafted by the Magic here for the long term. And let's see if he can develop because athletically, uh, he's up there with anybody in the NBA. So he certainly has the tools. He certainly has the motor. He certainly has the motivation. Let's see if he can do it. So Pistons fans will recall that uh, you mentioned Tobias Harris. Tobias signed a similar uh, extension structure type uh, in Orlando. And that was part of the reason why he was uh, uh, so obtainable uh, for the Pistons. And so... I think that was an excellent point you raised, uh, Preston, about the the contract structure. That was that wasn't something I knew off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, we thought it was a stunning move. It was what we were hoping they were going to do. Obviously, they still have they don't have salary cap space, but they're well below the the luxury floor. Uh, so there was no reason not to spend the money now and to spend it later. Uh, in addition to that, they didn't even utilize their mid level exception. So there's still a lot of money left on the floor that we were hoping the Magic would use, but. As far as Aaron Gordon's contract goes, uh, we're just we're sure glad that they they went ahead and spent that money now while they don't need it. Yeah, I love that kind of creativity and and forward thinking um, from management. It's fantastic to see. Uh, you've hinted at this a little bit as well, but what do you see as the biggest on court problem uh, with the Magic as they're built right now today? Uh, just the fit. Like I said, they don't have that natural facilitator. The guy, They don't have a guy who can break down a defense either. So you've got a lot of guys who kind of need to be put in position to score. Obviously, Nikola Vucevic can utilize that jumper, that fadeaway. He's got a couple of moves in the po- in the post. Aaron Gordon, these guys in transition uh, could be stellar, but you, you need a quarterback uh, running that offense up and down the floor, pushing the pace. And if you are in half-court sets, you've got to have a guy who knows how to get these guys into the positions that they want, moving the bound around, moving the ball around the perimeter and they just don't have that guy so the natural fit offensively just isn't there defensively is where this team is going to need to step up and stop people but like I said they're they're probably not going to start Jonathan Isaac and Mo Bamba uh one because Steve Clifford's not a guy you saw last year with Malik Monk I think it forced three injuries before he started giving Malik Monk real minutes and then of course Monk rattled off like 20 points in a uh, four games in a row something like that so we're not expecting a high usage uh season from Jonathan Isaac or Mo Bamba to start so uh, how good is the defense going to be with Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross getting a lot of minutes as well as Evan Fournier and DJ Augustine? Probably probably not great. Uh, Jonathan Simmons might be inserted into the starting lineup based on circumstance, but just the the fit right there uh, right now, it's it's not what the Magic fans would want, and we're still hoping another move can be made. But after the Jerry and Grant for Bismack Biombo trade, we think they're going to stand pat at this point, and they're just going to start developing guys. But I'm kind of arguing against what I was saying earlier. Obviously, the Magic are are stacked with veterans who are good young players, and it is a weak a weaker Eastern Conference this year than it has been in years previously. A lot of guys continue jumping ship to the Western Conference. So, but but that being said, uh, just to echo what I've been running in circles about is the fit isn't, isn't there, 
but we still think it'll be good enough to win some games in the East. What would the ideal point guard type be for this team, Preston? You've talked a little bit about a guy who can get uh, them and get the team into their sets offensively. Um, I think the the front office has shown a proclivity for defensive-minded guys with uh, long wingspans and uh, athletic ability. So in your mind like what kind what's the ideal point guard for this magic team if like that could be in that could be a, a type of player that could be an exact name if you have one in mind like not necessarily a guy you can trade for but just like who who would the best point guard for the Orlando Magic be um it's either got to be a rim crasher or it's got to be a facilitator uh in in terms of rim crashers i just mean somebody who can create their own offense like a kemba walker a damian lillard um i think i wrote down kemba walker twice but anybody who can just get to the rim pretty effortlessly tyreek evans is another one that comes to mind somebody who can make a defense collapse upon itself and then either take the ball to the basket or as you're breaking down the defense dish it out to the perimeter and if a guy doesn't take the jump three maybe he can get around a defender and get himself some space and get a nice jumper or floater uh Otherwise, I would say would be a natural facilitator, a guy who's just adept at getting the offense into its set, finding the right positions, getting guys the ball where they like it. And uh, some names that come to mind, Lonzo Ball, Rajon Rondo, Mios Teodosic, Thomas Sadoransky, guys who are kind of pass first type point guards uh, that could be well more well-suited for the Orlando Magic roster than DJ Augustine, who's kind of a spot-up shooter in his own right, and he can break down a defense a little bit, but he's more a guy that you trust from the perimeter making the right reads, not necessarily in the post or breaking down a defense. So, sorry if I'm if I'm talking a lot, but those, those are the two different types of point guards that I think would would better be be more well-suited to what the Magic need at this point. You answered the question, like that's all we can ask for, you know? And so I guess the the logical progression from that is Mo Bamba is obviously the the long term center that you would pair in like a pick and roll pairing with that uh, with that type of point guard. Um, but right now in front of him you've got Nikola Vucevic and uh, Tim- Timothy Mozgov. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you don't expect uh, a lot of uh, minutes to be allocated to Bamba right away, and so that kind of leaves me wondering. Um, the Magic have been trying to trade Vucevic for some time now. Uh, will they be able to find a trade partner for him? What, what kind of what does he offer uh, an NBA team in 2018 when uh, big men have been so so devalued over the last couple of years? Yeah, the Magic certainly value Nikola Vucevic more than most teams would. But you have to remember, uh, Nikola Vucevic is a guy who can give you 25 and 15 on any given night. He's a constant walking double-double. He's a guy who gobbles up rebounds, and he can create his own offense for the most part in the post. And he's not afraid to. He's not afraid to put up 30 and 20 type nights. Defensively, he's a liability. He can't chase anybody uh, off a pick and roll. He can't chase anybody to the perimeter. But he is a, a big team guy. He's a guy who likes playing in Orlando. And there is something to be said for that because there aren't a lot of free agents who want to come to Orlando so they do like him here they don't want to get rid of him for nothing he is an expiring contract they want a first round pick for him they're not going to get it so they're not going to unload him for a second round pick into a team's cap space not that anybody has cap space but they would want a usable player in his place they're not going to take another Timothy Mozgov uh, for him just to sit on the bench even if it comes with a pick unless it's 
a lightly protected first round pick. So unfortunately for Magic fans, I uh, hate to break it to you, but you're going to see a lot of Vucevic this year. You might see some Timothy Mozgov this year. Magic fans want to see Mo Bamba. They want to see more Kem Birch. They want to see Isaac work at the five. They want to see Aaron Gordon work at the five. But I just don't think you're going to get a whole lot of that until maybe around the trade deadline if Nikola Vucevic asks out of Orlando. But he's never done that in his history. He's never complained about his situation. So I think it's going to be uh, the walking norm in Orlando for now. And then come this offseason, uh, we'll see what he wants. So we've talked up and down the roster. And there's one name I haven't heard you mention that I'm, I'm curious about. And that's Jonathan Simmons. That was a guy who the Magic signed to a relatively like below market team friendly deal last offseason. Um, that was a guy who I had my eye on as a guy who fit a lot of what I was looking for in a starting shooting guard for the Detroit Pistons after the departure of Contavious Caldwell Pope. Um, you Is Simmons in the team's long-term plans? And, and how effective was he last year? He was very effective in a six-man role. Whenever uh, he came into the starting lineup pretty early on in the season, he was not as effective. I'm trying to pull up his numbers as I talk to you. But he's kind of a culture guy. He's one of the first guys that Jeff Weltman and John Hammond brought when they came over from Milwaukee. Uh, somebody to, to be in the locker room to provide a leadership role. Somebody who always works hard hard on both ends of the floor. Unfortunately, that is a problem in Orlando, but it's not one with Jonathan Simmons. He's a guy who gives us all every night he's on the court. Uh, played in a lot of games last year, uh, 69 right here. Uh, <laughs> um, so he's he's just the right kind of culture guy. He's very affordable. He gives you size in the, on the perimeter uh, at about 6'8". Uh, played well in San Antonio. He is getting a bit older. I see your point. It's a movable contract, 30 years of age. It's hard to find a wing, especially an affordable one in the NBA. So is he valuable? Yes. Are the Magic going to relinquish him? No. And they really have no need to unless somebody is willing to give out first-round picks. And right now, first-round picks are scarce in the NBA. And if anybody is giving them up, it's usually to shed a good amount of salary. And just as the present uh, cap situation uh, cap situation situates itself in Orlando, the the Magic really can't take any more contracts unless they want to unload somebody like an Evan Fournier or Nikola Vucevic. So in that regard, unfortunately, I don't think Jonathan Simmons is going anywhere. He's got another team option on his uh, deal after this year. I think he's going to fulfill that contract. And then at 31 years of age, he's probably going to uh, seek greener pastures somewhere else, somewhere where he can be on a playoff team if the Magic haven't begun developing like uh, like he probably hopes they will by then. But you have to remember, Jonathan Simmons, even though he's 30 years of age, he hasn't been in the NBA that long. I haven't. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I want to say at the age of 26 was around his rookie season in the NBA. So he's still a, a young body player, three years experience. So he's heading into his fourth year in the NBA, and he's actually almost 29 years old. Uh, so I was off on some of those kind of numbers. But I do think for now he is in the Magic plans. I wouldn't anticipate on them trading him. If they do trade anybody near the deadline, uh, I know they're going to try to recoup some of Terrence Ross's value. I think he could be a movable piece who could possibly get them something if he can continue shooting 40% from three-point range, if he can break down a defense, if he can you know, show that he can play the one, the two, and the three for the Magic, provide some versatility on defense. Not stuff that he's really been, been known for, but two to three years ago when he was uh, closer to his prime prior to this injury last season, uh, he could have come closer to possibly fetching some kind of positive net value, but I would think he would be the most movable piece the Magic are probably trying to work with right now. And so when we talk about wing players for the Magic, honestly, or obviously we bring up John Isaac. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, how the team nece didn't necessarily like support him in his ministry. Uh, 
during the year, you also mentioned about how injuries kind of slowed his development and uh, hindered his ability to get better. Uh, you also mentioned that he looked in much improved in summer league, which was definitely true. Um, with all the with the plethora of other options on the wing for the Magic, uh, how many minutes and what kind of uh, expectations do you think the Magic have for Isaac going into this year? Well, the interesting thing that two of my other co-hosts have been talking a lot about this offseason is everybody understandably wants to see Aaron Gordon give a go at the three again. Uh, it's something that Frank Vogel tried a lot last year to uh, very little success. Uh, it just wasn't a natural fit for him. He could chase threes on the perimeter as a defender, but offensively, it just wasn't natural for him. He needs to be a bit closer to the basket. He's continuing to work on his jump shot, and it is improving, but he just needs the flexibility of going up against a, a slower player, a similar body player that he can just uh, out athleticized at this stage of his career. He's not yet ready. His handle is improving, but it's just not there yet. Somebody who the Magic and my co-hosts really want to see give a go at the three this season in sporadic minutes is Jonathan Isaac. And at the Summer League, um, I think you were there, uh, but obviously he was he was the story of opening night. His handles improved. His jumpers improved. He uh, gave a go at taking uh, perimeter defenders off the dribble, driving to the basket uh, to ho-hum success at times. I think the the opening night was his big coming out party, and then he slowed down as the uh, as the summer league season unfolded. But we did see an initial bit of burst. We did see height from his jumper. Obviously, he's got those long limbs, so he could shoot over anybody much in the, the same way that an Anthony Davis or a Kevin Durant type can. So we're interested to see him play that position a bit more, see if he can chase guys around the perimeter. And that might be somebody who could be a more natural fit at that three position. But right now, these these guys are all malleable. They're going to they're gonna be up and down uh, playing positionless basketball, uh, so to speak. And it's going to be interesting to see where the natural fit for all of these guys is uh, on the basketball court right now because we still don't know what Jonathan Isaac is going to continue to develop in. Is he going to be a Kevin Durant type offensive player? Is he going to be a bit of a, a rim crasher who also has a jumper in Anthony Davis? Uh, is he going to be a perimeter defender, uh, a Rudy Gobert help defender type? We really don't know, and he hasn't really grown into his body yet. He's put on about 10 pounds of muscle this offseason, but he still has a good bit to go. So uh, the sky is the limit athletically for Jonathan Isaac, but we just don't know who he's going to be quite yet. So with the with the questions I've asked you about their point guard situation and with the teams, I guess, uh, not they don't have a full view of what Isaac could be. Um, I guess my question, the, the hypothetical I'm envisioning is, would you rather have Jonathan Isaac or would you rather have like a ready-made, uh, you know, a, or not an established point guard, but a ready-made uh, NBA looking point guard in the draft the year he was drafted like a De'Aaron Fox like a Dennis Smith Jr. I guess the because the, the Magic have needed a point guard for multiple years and not taking one of those guys was surprising and they still haven't addressed that position uh, they the Magic are still loaded on the wing they don't quote unquote like need a Jonathan Isaac but they needed a, a starting a point guard prospect so I uh, I don't know if you guys litigated that on the podcast or, or how you uh, handled that, but what, what, is, uh, what is your sense of that hypothetical? You almost got there, and I thought you were going to say his name. Alonzo Ball was the name that a lot uh, of us uh, – obviously, Jonathan Isaac, the sixth overall pick, Alonzo Ball, the number two overall pick, and the hype train goes anywhere Lonzo goes. And we've seen that LeBron and Lonzo do have a relationship, but when – 
Los Angeles shocked everyone by stealing Rajon Rondo away from the Pelicans. We started to 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 move our antennas a little bit towards that news. Maybe it was a, a move prompted by LeBron's camp, prompted by Clutch Sports and Rich Paul. Maybe they wanted Rajon Rondo in that lineup. They wanted some more veterans. They wanted to get the young guys out of town. Uh, or maybe LeBron James wanted like a Clint Capella type uh, running alongside of him in Jonathan Isaac and not necessarily, you know, uh, Lonzo Ball and Rajon Rondo, I do think they'll pair well together. I think having two point guards who can manage an offense and and uh, obviously Lonzo Ball is an ideal fit next to Rondo and that he's a great defender. But we just thought whenever that initial move was made that maybe Lonzo Ball was on the move and Jonathan Isaac was an ideal fit in that he can play the five next to LeBron James. That's what we think. That's what we think he's going to develop into is kind of a, a lockdown defender, uh, a help uh, rim protector uh, who can also, you know, uh, play a bit of five and four pick and roll with LeBron James offensively. Uh, it would have been a nice fit, uh, especially when they lost Julius Randle to the Pelicans. But obviously that didn't end up unfolding. But that was that was the name that we kind of had our eyes on. And we, we thought, let's let's give this some notice and see if anything develops in this regard. But obviously nothing ended up unfolding. But you are right. And with Aaron Gordon, Mo Bamba and Jonathan Isaac, we're not sure how that fit is going to unfold. At this point in time, did the Magic want Trey Young in the draft over Mo Bamba? I think you'd have to definitively say yes, just based on fit. Obviously, the Magic need a lot of talent, so fit shouldn't come into the equation. But having an attacking point guard who can nail the three in Steph Curry-type fashion, yeah, the the Magic could have used that. Uh, But they'll certainly take Mo Bamba. So that that was a very interesting way to answer that question. I appreciate that. What's the uh, what's the window for a playoff appearance in Orlando? And you with you, with your over under answer, it doesn't sound like you think it'll be this year. Although they're a little bit closer in in your mind, is it is it two years down the road? Is it three years down the road? Uh, how how long is this uh, playoff streak without Dwight uh, going to last? Here's what I would like to see happen. Uh, this this draft is going to be really heavy with stars uh, in 2019, but that's not. Specifically, what I'm looking at, I'm thinking another rebuilding year. Get uh, get some development out of Mo Bamba, out of Jonathan Isaac, out of Aaron Gordon. Start um, letting some of these veterans go on on their way. Get some one year contracts. The summer of 2020. If Jonathan Isaac is beginning to bud into All Star like potential, if Aaron Gordon is a definitive All Star, and that window is open in the East right now, um, Aaron Gordon could conceivably be an All Star in the Eastern Conference next season. So if he becomes an All Star, if Jonathan Isaac develops, if Mo Bamba becomes a Rudy Gobert type rim protector, and then you you get Mozgov off of his two-year contract in 2020. Uh, the books are wide open after that. All you've got is Aaron Gordon on that $14 million. Mo Bamba is still on $5 million. Jonathan Isaac's on $5 million, although he'll be around restricted, I want to say, in the summer of 2021. So if if some guys start looking across the NBA, and they see an all-star in Aaron Gordon, the Eastern Conference is wide open. There's no state tax in Florida. You've got Mo Bamba as your help defender, which uh, makes everybody look good. Could this be a landing spot for a guy like Kyrie Irving, like a Kemba Walker? Uh, we I've already mentioned in 2020 the list of names that are going to be available in addition to Anthony Davis. Uh, pretty much everybody is is going to be up for, for a pay grade or a payday, I should say. So 2020 would be the summer. I would hope the Magic would go all in and try to sign uh, maybe two max level players to pair with Aaron Gordon and these youngsters. But I honestly believe that this summer when – um, let's see, Vucevic and Ross come off the books. That's $30 million more in spending money the Magic have. The Magic could go out and get that point guard of their dreams this offseason in Kemba Walker. And all of a sudden, in 19, 2019 to 2020, 
this this team could conceivably win 45 games for now i think they win somewhere between 33 and 35 uh depending on what they do this offseason uh they they could take a leap in their second year under steve clifford but i would hope they would hold off on that and try to bring you know two superstars at the same time together in 2020 yeah kemba walker would be kind of a scary scary good fit there i, I don't know if it happens but um that roster sounds a lot scarier with Kemba, Kemba Walker as your point guard. Um, what do you think is your best case scenario? You, you've landed on 33 to 35 wins as sort of your realistic prediction, but what do you think is your absolute put on your Homer glasses, best case scenario, and then flip the coin and tell us what the worst case scenario is for your team this year? Well, the best case scenario sadly doesn't involve winning. It involves winning early on and, um, uh, you know, getting some value out of Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross on the trade market, maybe even DJ Augustine, and then turn things over to Jaron Grant and Isaiah Briscoe. Um, so we want the team to play well early. So if the team can get to January, it's something like, I don't know, 20 and 10. Um, I think at that point, Steve Clifford is not a guy who's ever going to rebuild. So the team is going to have to rebuild upon itself by trading away some of its veterans and then giving your young guys, your Mo Bambas, your Jonathan Isaac, more minning and let them kind of learn. And it'll, it'll take a toll on the magic, but you'll, you'll get that value back in terms of picks. Um, with, with that being said, I think the most negative thing that could happen is we could suffer injuries to Mo Bamba or Jonathan Isaac. I think that's the worst case scenario. If literally anything else happens, if we lose all five starters for 270 games again and the team wins 25 games again, I don't think that's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is wasted picks at this point in Orlando's juncture. They have to develop and be successful in the draft with these players. Uh, that can't be overstated. Jonathan Isaac, Mo Bamba, they need to develop and they need to show some development so they can institute some faith in the fans base here that something is building in Orlando and it starts with those two big men so for those of us who haven't watched a, a lot of the magic the last few years of they've struggled and then coming into this season you mentioned hope is kind of your one word what do you think's the under the radar thing that the national audience of the NBA might not expect about your team what's the under the radar thing that's going to surprise folks uh, defensively, I think this can be a top five team if Steve Clifford does go ahead uh, maybe 15 to 20 games into the season and bring Nikola Vucevic off the bench, which wouldn't be the worst thing. He could bring you scoring off the bench. He would pair well with Jerry and Grant and Wesley Wundu. Wesley Wundu is another great defender. I saw him and Melvin Frazier in uh, Summer League completely set down a fence in front of the three-point line that, that some of the opposing offensive players could not break through. These guys have long arms. Everybody across the roster has long arms. So defensively, this could be a team that that keeps uh, opponents to 90 points per game, uh, specifically if Mo Bamba and Jonathan Isaac develop into the players that we think that they will. Frank Vogel called Jonathan Isaac their best defensive player in his small uh, sample size, just 27 games. So if they put that together and they become a Steve Clifford type team, which is a top 10 defensive team, then offensive teams like the, I don't want to say the Warriors, the Rockets, obviously that's laughable, but guys who come in and score a lot of points, they're not going to get them against the Orlando Magic. That is the hope at this point in time is that this team is going to rise to the defensive for, forefront very quickly. Aaron Gordon is another player who uh, is an able and willing defender. He's got great size, great length, great foot speed, can fight over picks. Uh, so if the team does develop and reach its potential in that regard, uh, I think we could see a lot of low scoring games against the Orlando Magic and they could begin to separate themselves as a defensive juggernaut sooner rather than later. When, when you say that, I think I can almost hear John Hammond like screaming in ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like that is that is exactly the type of team that he wants to build. And so um, I'm very curious. I'm also curious to see how that uh, that ha- how that goes down. We've seen in Milwaukee that uh, it's it, the potential is definitely there. But, uh, you know, the Orlando is not Milwaukee. The kids aren't Giannis. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I can tell you what John Hammond definitively wants, and he wants Giannis Antetokounmpo back. So I'm trying to look at his numbers right now, how many years he has left. Uh, I, think he's still got, I think he's still got three more years. I don't think he'll – I think he'll be uh, outside of your 2020 window. Yeah, uh, the summer 2020, but we know that uh, superstars have what we call pre-agency now in that if they're not happy in their current circumstance, all they do is they go to the the general manager, or Greg Popovich, and they say, hey, Greg, I don't want to play for the Spurs this year. And boom, <laughs> they get moved to Toronto. So uh, that's 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 the ambition right now for Magic fans is that some kind of superstar in an unwanted situation, somebody like a Dame Lillard, a Bradley Beal, a John Wall, a Giannis Antetokounmpo, if the Bucks should end up in the seventh spot in the East again this year, that uh, one of those players sees themselves in greener pastures. And if you've got an all-star next to them and Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac, then Orlando doesn't look too bad. No, I mean, you're definitely right. Uh, Preston, so the Pistons did, uh, they had their own disgruntled superstar acquisition in in Blake Griffin. Um, I know you are not a Pistons fan, but we are curious about your perspective about what Detroit has done for the last six months. Uh, That'd be the Blake Griffin trade. That'd be firing Stan Van Gundy and hiring Dwayne Casey. That would be restructuring the front office under Ed Stefanski. Any moves you uh, like that they made in free agency, anything like that. Uh, what, what's been your perspective on the Pistons from an outsider? I like the Glenn Robinson uh, pickup. I think Stan Van Gundy, not necessarily as a coach, but as a general manager and just a front office type, probably need to find his way out of town. That Langston Galloway contract is the first thing that comes to mind. That's just the kind of move that you can't pull in today's NBA. Guys like Langston Galloway, while they do have high upside and you know a critical scorer who can come off the bench and give you 20 points is something that is necessary in today's NBA, but you've seen the Pelicans can get that out of Ian Clark on the veteran minimum, so you just can't throw away that kind of money. You need to be able to bring the best out of Stanley Johnson. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Reggie Jackson can give the team this year. Jose Calderon is, I think, I think he's um, a a low risk, high reward. I guess that's the catchphrase uh, type pickup, a guy who played pretty well with the Cleveland Cavaliers when he had to, when George Hill went down with an injury. He's actually another person I was hoping Orlando could get. Uh, He's, he's a veteran uh, presence that, that, that could give them spot minutes and could help them. But the fit, and I know that you guys have probably talked yourselves into circles about this, just the fit between Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin just feels wonky. Uh, it's not the way that the NBA is going, and these guys aren't the most athletic guys, guys who can chase around the perimeter. We know that Blake's going to have to do that this season, and Andre Drummond's even going to have to do that uh, quite a bit this season. Uh, does it work with the two of them long term? Uh, I have my doubts about that. Uh, looking across the NBA, I think a lot of people would like to see Blake Griffin play a bit more of the five. And I know that you can spot up those guys uh, similarly to how the Rockets do with Chris Paul and James Harden. And that's something I'm sure they'll try a lot this year. But I, I just think that the Blake Griffin trade was something that a head coach and front office type does when they can see the writing on the wall for themselves and they and they throw a Hail Mary. And I, I'm not sure that it's going to pay off. And I'm not sure what you guys can really get for Andre Drummond at this point. Obviously, you can't move Blake Griffin, or I wouldn't think you could. Um, he's going to be there at least until 2021. I think he has that player option of like $40 million. So I can't imagine him turning that down. Uh, so it'll it'll be interesting to see how those two pair. But I think the most important thing is what you guys can get out of Reggie Jackson, because I think he can really turn 
turn over the overall structure and ceiling of that team when healthy. Yeah, I think you pretty much just uh, said everything we were going to say on our preseason co- podcast for the Pistons. So uh, save us a little bit of work. I think you've got a, a very good perspective on on the Pistons. Thanks, man. And if you guys are done with Ish Smith and you want to throw him to us for Jonathan Simmons, um, I think maybe that you guys could use Jonathan Simmons to spot up some Glenn Robinson stuff, uh, maybe spell Luke Kennard if he doesn't continue developing. And I know the Magic could use him. He's exactly – I know he's not a superstar by any means, but just a guy who who knows how to play NBA uh, point guard level basketball. He knows how to distribute the ball. He knows how to get guys involved. He does have that nice jumper. He can kind of break down a defense, not necessarily a rim attacker, but he can find – spaces uh, in the paint to get his shot going. Uh, so he's he's somebody that I'd be interested in. He's an expiring, so he's not a long-term investment. So you guys let me know. Uh, Laz, what are your thoughts on that? So I, I am super intrigued by that idea. So I, I've been trying to tr- I've been trying to trade Ish Smith for DJ Augustine just as a straight oh. just as a straight point guard swap because Augustine as a shooter, as a guy who can knock down shots uh, in the half court interests me more around a Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin front court in case something happens to Reggie Jackson again. What we saw last year was Ish be a problem with the starters because of his inability to space the floor. Well, he he started to shoot threes at the end of last season, but defenses still treated him like a non-shooter. And that was a problem a lot of the time. Got it. Um, DJ Augustine, I think, gives you guys a lot of what you're already getting with Langston Galloway. He might be a bit better at it at this point in his career. But I think if you do add DJ Augustine, you need to just uh, bury Langston Galloway on the bench at that point in time. Um, It's interesting to me. You guys have so many young players that you need to develop. It almost makes sense to me to kind of kind of follow the magic suit and uh, try to see what you can get for an Andre Drummond and focus on developing guys like Kyrie Thomas, Bruce Brown, Luke Kennard, uh, Glenn Robinson, uh, again, is a pickup that I I think um, is not being is not being properly evaluated uh, around the NBA. He's somebody the the Pelicans were desperately hoping they could get a crack at with part of their mid-level exception. But uh, the Pistons are in a tricky spot, but I, I do like DJ Augustine in that he does spread the floor for you, and he does provide more room for players like Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond to work. Uh, very consistent three-point shooter, doesn't need the ball in his hands, but he's not really a facilitator who can set up Blake and Andre Drummond much in the way that Ish Smith can, I would think. I would think for a team with bigs who need to get the ball in the right spots, I would think that Ish Smith is a better proponent for that than a guy who can just nail the three. Um, but I guess that one's up for debate. No, no, I mean, that I think that is up for debate, and I appreciate your perspective. I will say we've done a bunch of these podcasts. I don't know exactly how many. And uh, whenever I ask other for other perspectives about the uh, Pistons, you are definitely the first person to bring up Jose Calderon in a positive light. I'll say that much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, obviously he's, he's not an all-star level talent at this point. I just, I just think it's, it's imperative for a team with a lot of young players, much uh, as the Pistons have and the magic have just to have a veteran presence, a confident guy, a leader, a uh, a guy who owns his own farm of chickens, I think is an added benefit (laughs) to that. And, I, I just think that he he puts players in position to succeed offensively, though not necessarily defensively. But just anybody who can who can run and manage an offense for Orlando, teach these guys how to get in and out of their sets, how to work over pick and roll. 
Um, I, I think that's that's desperately needed right now. And I, I don't want to take too much away from DJ Augustine. I just think that DJ Augustine gives you a little bit of rim attacker, a little bit of uh, floor spacer. But I don't think he's the guy that you need to get your young guys developed and get them growing. I think I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And you're also one of the first guys we've had on to to mention what was kind of my very first thought after the Blake Griffin trade, which was how do Blake and Andre, not even necessarily as players, but as contracts coexist. Yeah. Um, one of the very first things I tweeted out was I would not be at all surprised if this is the beginning of the end for Andre Drummond in Detroit. Um, it's too soon to say that for sure, but I, I still have a sneaky suspicion that if – they want to get serious about going all in with with the roster as it is. They're going to have to move one of those guys. And Andre, to me, seems like the guy who's much more movable. Yeah, just with Blake's injury history and his accelerated cap number, uh, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I know that it's in the 30s, and I know that it's potentially four more years uh, because he's definitely going to exercise that that final year uh, at around 39 or 40, $40 million. So it's it's going to be nearly impossible to move him. But Andre Drummond really is just like two years and $50 million, and then he's got a player option that you would think that he would exercise. But it's it's just definitively more movable than Blake Griffin is. No, absolutely. So, so Preston, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate having you on. Uh, what's what's the best place for Pistons fans to to get your insight into the Orlando Magic and the New Orleans Pelicans? Thanks so much, man. Uh, primarily Pelicans, but I am a credentialed writer for both. You can find me at thebirdrights.com, at orlandopinstripepost.com. You can follow me at Preston Ellis. My two podcasts for the Pelicans is The Bird Calls. For the Magic is Do You Believe in Magic? And man, I'm I'm excited to go and get it with you at B-Ball Index. Just so you guys know, B-Ball Index, headed up by Tim Crangis, our friend, uh, it's going to be an analytics-based website. It's got 30 great names on it that I know of right now. Our Slack is up and running now. We're going to get after it soon. I think October 1st is probably uh, our targeted start date. So make sure you guys check out that. Your host that you're listening to right now is going to be on it. I'm going to be on it. Uh, It's going to be wild. It's going to be different. And I definitely highly encourage you guys to keep your eyes open for it. Ben, uh, what's the best place for the people to talk to you about trading Andre Drummond? (laughs) If you want to bring on my wrath, you're welcome to talk to me about that (laughs) at BRGolker on Twitter. And uh, my and you can follow me on Twitter at Laz Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will see you guys later this week. Mm-hmm.